is to teach you the five basic commitments or the five foundational elements of discipleship. Okay? Jesus said, go and make what? Anybody know? Disciples. Disciples. Not converts, not congregants, but make disciples. A disciple, in, from the, if we understand what the word means, it means a learner under discipline. So someone who not only learns, but is disciplined to follow the things that they are taught. In discipleship, Jesus, the Bible says, is building us into a house. So he's building his, his church into a house, and he's building the individual life into a house. A house without a foundation isn't going to stand very long. Can we agree with that? Yeah. Right? It's kind of like the Jenga house. You know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to fall. It, you know, we have to have a foundation to our house. And the foundation of discipleship revolves around five key elements. These are the building blocks upon which the house is set. Without these five things, the Christian life cannot be actualized and the kingdom does not properly flow into the life of the believer. Jesus wants to maximize his power into the life of the believer. He wants to help you and he wants to release more of himself to you. But oftentimes, Jesus told the, the people, children of Israel, he said, I want to gather you like a hen does its chicks, but you would not. So we see two things in that statement. Number one, Jesus wants to do something. And number two, the people wouldn't let him. So Jesus could want it all, you, all, all, all he wants, but you'd have to partner with what he wants. And the thing about Christianity and the way the gospel works and the way the kingdom works is that God doesn't work any harder than you. He's going to do it for you. It's, and Christianity is not a spectator sport. It's a participatory sport or a lifestyle in which we are partners with him. God chooses to partner with us. God chooses to use us and to allow us to activate things into our lives through the efforts and the actions that we take. So Radical 5, the foundation of discipleship is very, very simple. Number one is uh, read your Bible. Number two, prayer. Number three, commit and connect to church. Number four, financially give. And number five, live on mission. Not necessarily in that order, but those five things have to be created into your life. And there has to be a consistency where you're reading the Bible and you're learning the scripture. There has to be a consistency of a life of prayer. There has to be a consistency of financially give, giving into the work of God. There has to be a consistency of commitment and connection to church. And there has to be a consistency where you yourself are actually participating in the mission of God in the world. Those are the things that happen. So today, we talked about financial giving last week. Today, we're going to talk about committing and connecting to church. Amen. It's like, I knew I was here for a reason. Yes, you are here for a reason. Wow. To commit and connect to a church. So we have to understand basic principles. One of the things we have to understand is we live in a culture, in a society, that puts a high prize on the individual. The Western culture, primarily American, Americanized Western Europe, American influences, primarily we emphasize the individual. It's all about you. We emphasize the individual at the expense of a community. The Bible does not emphasize individuals. When the Bible is talking about something, it's talking about a community. When it's talking about our faith, it's talking about a body. It's talking about a group, not an individual. God does not prioritize the individual at the expense of the community. He doesn't do that. So when Christians say, it's just me, Jesus, in my Bible, it's not just you, Jesus, in your Bible. That's not in the Scripture. You know? I mean, we did the inner, we did the inner healing seminar, and we had a lot of people from a lot of different churches here. 
And I would talk to them and try to engage them and try to encounter them and just find out who they are, where they are. Say, I'll go to this church. Oh, that's a great church. It's a great pastor. I know the church. Just trying to encourage Christians. But the most common answer I got is I don't go to church or I go to many churches. That's my favorite answer. You know? And I'm like, well, who told you that? Well, I go to five different churches. You know, I'm part of the universal body of Christ. I come over here, then I come over here, then I come over here, and I'm just receiving. Well, the problem with that is, is that is not in the Bible. It's not that you can't visit a church and receive somebody, but if your habit is that you are not committed anywhere and you are not connected anywhere, you are out of alignment with the will of God. Oh, wow. oh absolutely. True, true, true. God has not called you to be an orphan. He's called you to be part of a functioning family. When Christians say, I, don't have, I have a problem with the church, or I'm part of all these other churches, the issue isn't, and I love it when we spiritualize it, that's always my favorite, Christians spiritualize their dysfunction. The real issue is, is you have a fathering issue. The real issue is you have a commitment issue. The real issue is you have a vulnerability issue. The real issue is you have a, fall, a follow-through issue. That's the real reason why you can't commit and connect. That's the real reason. That's the real reason why you jump around to five different places, because you don't want to be known anywhere. You have an, you have an insecurity that if I'm found out, people won't like you. Well, guess what? Jesus already knows and he likes you, so what are you worried about? You know, who cares? You're called to be a part of a church. That's right. A grace-filled, hope-centered church. A spirit-present-centered church. You're called to be a part of that. And when we jump around, what we do is we spiritualize our own issues. And until we deal with our own issues, nothing's going to change. Nothing. Lord, what's my major malfunction? Why can't I commit and connect to church? Why do I have an aversion to going to church? What is my problem? Well, you value your flesh more than you value the spirit, Kevin. <laughs> Jesus would never say that. Oh, yes, he would. You have a father issue. You have an abandonment issue. You don't feel that you have a place at the table. You're mirroring me off of a bad experience that you had with, with your own father. You're valuing me off of a bad experience you've had with your own family. You're dysfunctional. Oh, no, it couldn't be me. It has to be the Holy Spirit driving me from place to place. <laughs> you'll never change at some point you have to deal with what's wrong with you in order for you to change and Jesus loves you enough to not leave you the same he's going to tell you he's going to tell you he's going to tell you what your problem is you're judgmental you have a hard time accepting people you don't like people you are ungracious to people and you are hard on them and you're judgmental to yourself you're a perfectionist wow. nothing's ever good enough for you <laughs> he's going to tell you that stuff and then you're going to have to go, what do I do? And he's going to go, well, here's the path. It's true. This is what we do. And we have emphasized the culture. We emphasize a mindset of the culture that values the individual. It's all about me. It's not about you. The Bible does not emphasize the individual. It emphasizes the community. It emphasizes the body of Christ, collective and whole. You say, I don't like the church. Well, I say to you, why would you, like, why would you not like something that Jesus is madly in love with? He's madly in love with his church, Christian. He loves it. Why are you? What's the problem? You are not loving something that Christ loves. You have a dysfunction in your heart. There is something wrong with you. Oh, no, Kevin, I don't know. I've been at this church for 20 minutes, and you're already making me mad. I'm going to walk out the door. Well, welcome to the world of the Jesus, the rock of offense. He will offend you. He will offend your pride, he will offend your dignity, and he will offend the very things that you believe if they're contrary to what he says. He's not interested in appeasing your intellect. 
Oh, let me just soothe your intellect. Let me just come into agreement with what you think, Kevin. He doesn't come into agreement with what I think. He confronts what I don't believe that is true by what he says. And he will offend me in order to change me. But what we do is we go running around to where we find somebody that will tickle us until they're itching ears to just tell me what I want to hear. Read Timothy. There's a problem. That's a sign of a last day's culture. That all the church wants to hear is what appeases them. That all the church wants to hear is what soothes them and pets their conscience. That is the mark of a last day's church. That is a mark of a church that has become lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, but has divided itself in the middle and is worth nothing. Salt that has lost its flavor. Salt that has lost its saltiness. Good for nothing. We cannot be that type of person. We cannot be that type of believer. We cannot. My son talks to me about some things about what he wants for his life. And I tell him, what you want is a very good thing. You want high things. You want excellence. But if you want excellence, you cannot settle for average. (laughs) Come on. If you want excellence, you cannot settle for average. And I teach him and I'm instructing him that just because the rest of the group is there at this complacent level doesn't mean if you want average, then stay with the complacent crowd. Stay with what everybody else wants. But if you want what you say you want, you're going to have to do higher things. You're going to have to do what they are not doing. It's just true. And so I tried to tell him, I'm like, you know, because his excuses are just this conversation we're having. Will's like, well, nobody else is going or nobody else is doing this or everybody else is doing that. And I'm like, yeah, okay, you can be that person. You can, you can walk with turkeys, but you will not fly with eagles. You have to not, come on. You have to be willing to go and hire. I'm talking about, to you about a higher level of Christianity. I'm talking to you about a level that is basically the minimum standard. See, the problem with most believers is we don't even meet the minimum standard. So if the Bible says if I talk to you of spiritual th- or earthly things how, and you don't understand them, how will you be if I talk to you about spiritual things? If you can't run with footmen, how will you keep up with horses? And yet we go, well, God's going to do this, or I believe God for this, or I don't believe God for anything, or whatever it is. My, my position to you is if Jesus thought it valuable enough to pay his blood for it, then we should accept and push into everything that he paid for us, so dearly for us to have. We honor him by taking everything he died to give to us. We honor him by pressing into the highest measure through the highest door that he has opened to us. We dishonor him by settling for average. Just a thought. So this is the deal. We are called to be believers. We're called to commit and connect to a church. We're called to do the five things that I'm talking about. But sadly, most Christians don't see a value in it. They don't see any value in it. Well, first of all, what is church? Well, we get the word church from a Greek word called kyrikon, which is translated through English and through German and through several other languages to this word kirche, which is where we get church. The only problem with that word, you ready for it? Grab the seat. The word kyrikon is Koine Greek. So, okay, just to give you some context here. The New Testament was written in a specific language called Koine Greek. Okay? It was the language of the day. English, in our modern world, would be considered the the language that goes across cultures. I mean, Spanish would probably be a close second, but most cultures, if you're going to speak into a common language, they usually settle on English. Back then, they settled on Koine Greek. That was the language that was cross-cultural. They, you know, you go somewhere, somebody's going to speak Koine Greek. You go somewhere in any country, practically, you're going to find somebody that speaks English. 
You know, if I go to Japan, I'm going to find somebody that speaks English. If I go to Sweden, I'm going to find somebody that speaks English. You know, if, if somebody comes here, it's going to be hard. You, don't, you can't always find somebody who speaks Swedish. You can't always find somebody who speaks Swahili, Afrikaans. You can't always find somebody that speaks that. But usually anywhere you go, you can find somebody that speaks English somewhere in that culture because it's, a, it's, what's, it's the common language, typically. That, in that culture, the common language was Koine Greek, which literally the word Koine means common. So it's common Greek. And in the common Greek, that's where we get our New Testament written from. So the apostles and the prophets would write the, write the, 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 uh, the, the New Testament in Koine Greek into the language of the people so that the people could actually read it. Because that's why. And so we get our English Bible from the translations from Koine Greek into English. You get your Spanish Bible, if it's translated correctly, from the original manuscripts. The best translations come from the original. So if you have a Spanish Bible that's translated from English, it probably isn't the best way. If you have a Spanish Bible that's translated from the Koine Greek, that's the better way, because it's coming from the original language, so you get the original word. So we get this word church from a Greek word called kirikon. Problem is, that word kirikon does not appear in the New Testament. That's a problem. So we're, t- we're talking about something that isn't even in the Scripture. What kirikon basically means is the Lord's house, and that's the common understanding of what the church is. It's the house of the Lord. Well, that word, kirikon, meaning Lord's house, does not appear in the New Testament at all. What word it does appear for the word church is this word, ecclesia. Ecclesia is how the Bible defines a church. And if you'll understand what I'm talking about, you're going to see there's an entirely different, there's two meanings to what's going on. If we took kirikon, it would mean the Lord's house. Yes, we're all in the Lord's house, the church. That's not in the Bible, which tells you God did not intend for the church to merely mean his house. That's not what he's saying. The word ecclesia, hold your chair, you know what it means? Uprising, revolution, alternative. That's what it means. And some of you are like, I knew it! I knew there was something revolutionary about this faith. I knew it! That's what I signed on for. I signed on to change the world. What'd you sign on for? I signed on to see the kingdom come and transformation happen in my life and through my life and under the world. That's exactly the word that God uses for his church. He tra- the word church from the New Testament is translated from the Greek word ecclesia. Well, here again, I'm going to tell you some problems. Here's theology corner. Here's what's being taught. In our churches, we only half translate that word. We'll say it's an assembly of called out ones. That's what we'll translate ecclesia for. So here's our big idea of the church. We're an assembly of called out ones. That's what we are. Wonderful. Woo. Does anybody know what that means? And if you ask them, they're going to go, no. We're assembled and called out to worship and honor the Lord. The word ecclesia, we understand what that word means if we go and read the Greek poets and the Greek writers of the day. They use that word. So the question would be, how was that word used in Greek culture? It was used as a society. It is used literally, as Jesus would say, a kingdom within a kingdom. It was used that said when a society became corrupt, when a society became self-centered, when a society forgot the people, someone in the midst of it all would rise up and go, Ecclesia. And people that had the same mindset as the person calling for the Ecclesia would gather to that person and they would build a society within the society. They would build a city within the city. So when the city was corrupt and self-serving, they were people that were loving and self-sacrificing. When the city became greedy and self-indulgent, they became a society that was generous and giving and outlaying. You see the point? This is what God's trying to emphasize to us. 
And for the last, for the 20th century, I can assure you, this has gone woo right over our head. The, the early church understood it. The early church got it. They understood the idea of ecclesia. They understood that this faith is to be integrated into every part of our lives and that everything that we do is to be in contrast to the world around us. Servitude and sacrifice is one of the attitudes that the Christian carries within the church. If you look at the world, so let's just compare two worlds. We're in the world, but we're not of it. Okay? So we have a world system, and you can see where, what does that look like. Well, look at your job. Let's just take most corporations. Let's just take corporate structure, which is the system, economic systems and structures of the world. They're not about helping each other. A corporation, if you work for a corporation, you're going to realize they serve one thing, and they serve the dollar. And if you get in the way of the dollar, you're gone. Come on. Yeah. They serve a corporation. A corporation serves itself by teaching the people within the corporation that you get ahead by stepping on everybody else. And if anybody does anything for you, they do it for you for a reason. Well, what am I going to get out of it? Very rarely in those types of environments do you find someone that would just sacrifice on behalf of you and give you or do something for you without it or being any direct benefit. That's worldly thinking. This is where Jesus said the Gentiles' style of leadership, they lord it over. This shall not be so among you. You that are the least shall be, you that, you that serve shall serve by becoming servants. You that would lead will become servants. That's the idea. So the point being is that Jesus' world and Jesus' system is in direct contrast to the system that's within the world because he's speaking to us about an ecclesia. This has got to be the permeating thinking within the church itself. We're not just an assembly of called out ones. We are ambassadors of Christ into the world. We are on purpose with a purpose. We're not average. And the day you start thinking of yourself as average is the day you've de- literally defeated yourself. You, you're not, the power of kingdom is neutered by, by that mindset. So we're an ecclesia. So where people are, people are greedy, that's why the Bible tells us particularly go back to the work environment. It tells you to do your work as unto the Lord. Work with excellence, be on time, do your job to the highest level and add value to wherever you're working, regardless of how you're treated. Because the kingdom, the Father sees. And God who sees is the one who's going to reward you. Your reward isn't coming from your boss, your reward comes from Jesus. You get that? You and I are bound to a system, an economy, an atmosphere, a world, a realm that is not of this world. That's why we give financially. We financially give because our system, our economic system, is not tied to this world. We activate the system through our giving. We activate activate the power of family or the power of communion and the power of restoration within our lives through the church. We are part of an uprising and a revolution. We're world changers. That's what we are. The emphasis is never on a building. It's based on a gathering. Why do we honor? Why do we gather? Great question, Kevin. Glad you asked. Well, number one, we gather for honor, okay? I'm going to come up against Christian mindsets, and I always ask myself, why do I always do this? Or why, do I, why is that always a line? And I felt like I'm just prophetically declaring something into the atmosphere, releasing out this truth so that, the, so that the atmosphere itself will shift. Not in this church, but in a lot of other churches. This is the atmosphere. We teach the people to come to be fed. That's only a minor aspect of it. The number one reason why we gather is we gather to honor God. That's the number one reason. And when you come with the mindset that I'm coming for honor, it doesn't matter about you. It doesn't matter about anything else. It's not on your agenda. It's not what you want. I'm coming to the Lord for honor. Say this with me. Honor Honor. 
creates access. If there's no access, say that with me. That means honor is missing. Honor opens up the door. Honor creates the access. So when you come before the Lord and you come to worship Him, you may come with needs. There's nothing wrong with coming with needs. There's nothing wrong with coming hungry. There's nothing wrong coming expecting. All of those things are true. But those things are released to you when you begin to honor Him. So we come before the Lord and we honor Him. And it opens up an access and a release point to us. If all you're doing is sitting there thinking about yourself the whole time, you're probably not going to get your needs met. You know, if all you're doing, you got a scorecard and you're rating the way that I talk, I give them a four on that one. There's a two on that one. Pretty good service, Kevin. You had an overall sixth grade by me. So, you know, really? Sermon raters, you know, that's what we are. <laughs> Some of you are laughing. You know, it's true. <laughs> we gather to honor him. I'm trying to tell you how it works. I told first service, the Bible tells, I think it's Psalm 103, it said Israel knew, knew the, the deeds of God, but Moses knew his ways. There's a whole different aspect of knowing what God does and knowing why he does it or knowing how he does it. I'm giving you the ways of the Lord this morning. These are his ways. We come in, it says this, ascribe to the Lord, to glory, the, ascribe to the Lord all you families of the earth. You know what that means? All y'all give to the Lord what is rightfully his, the honor that is his. Ascribe to the Lord glory that is due his name. Same word, glory, honor, same context. Bring an offering when you come into his courts. <gasps> Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness and tremble before him all the earth. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. It goes on, you see. And so we come before the Lord with honor. Honor creates access and God begins to release back to us. It's the number one reason why we gather. Next slide. What we've been taught and within the American church is we gather, for, we gather because out of convenience. Well, if I feel like going to church today, and if it's not too inconvenient and there's nothing else on the schedule, then maybe, I maybe, just maybe I can make it. You're wrong. You're wrong. If you're a Christian and you claim to be a born-again believer, if you don't know Jesus, that's not on you. But if you claim Christ as Lord, that is on you. God said, if I'm your father, where's my honor? <gasps> just a thought. Church has to become a priority in the minds of the Christian. It can't be a byproduct. It has to be at the top of the game. Number one on the list when it comes to Sunday, I'm there. Nothing else. This is the time I'm blocked out. Your employer needs to know what everything else. Well, I can't tell my employer. They, can fire, they can't fire you for that reason. There are laws that, pre that preclude them from firing you for going to church. They cannot put you on a schedule that precludes you. My daughter was working for a big department store when she was younger. And she would tell me she couldn't get Sundays off. And I said, well, how about, on, how about the Jews? I said, have you seen the Jewish people getting Saturdays off? She said, oh, yeah, they all take off at 4 o'clock on Friday, and they don't work on Saturday. And I said, now, do you think that all those girls that you're working with that are Jewish, you think they're going to synagogue? She goes, no, I just think it's an excuse to party. But they're using their faith as a reason to get out. Oh, i got to leave at 4 o'clock. I don't work on Saturdays. I'm Jewish. I said, present it to your boss. You're a Christian. You don't work on Sundays. Boom, 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 boom. And guess what? She got Sundays off. It's funny how they'll, they'll come down on the believer or come down on the Christian. Huh? One of the banks, one of American banks that's in Canada, they just created prayer rooms for their Muslim employees in Toronto. Upstairs, they're allowed 20 minutes at certain times of the day, twice a day. So they're literally giving them 40 minutes to go upstairs into, their, into the Muslim prayer. But if a Christian, God forbid, a Christian asks that question, oh, no, 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 no. It's the world system. It's an, it's an, an, an unequal basis. But Christians have the same right, the same ability, the same, the same position. So we, come on, somebody said it. It's true. 
But, but Jesus has to come to the priority. The church must come. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. One translation puts it this way. I came running when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. You mean we're going to go meet with Jesus? I'm going to meet with my brothers and sisters? The presence and the atmosphere of God is going to be there? I'm on. Let's do this. I got nothing better to do. This is all that matters. Come on. So we gather for that. We gather, we gather for honor. We gather for instruction. God wants his people taught his word. It makes no sense. The Bible says calls actually the thing that I'm doing. You know what calls what I do? Calls it foolishness. So I'm the biggest fool in the world. I'm the biggest fool in the room. God, come on. God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save the world. The foolishness of preaching. So I'm literally a fool. That's, what, that's if you want the truth. But the foolishness of God is greater than the wisdom of man. You see, he wants instruction. So here it is in Deuteronomy. He tells the people when they're assembled, he tells Moses, assemble the people before me. Get them together in my presence. Not an option. And I want them to hear my words, that they may what? Learn to honor me. So I want you, Moses, when you get them together, I want you to instruct them from my word, and I want you to tell them to honor me. Teach them what it means to honor me. Teach them the power that lies in their honor of me. Teach them that all of these things, why? That they may live on the earth, that life may come to you, and that you in turn may teach your children, that your household and your family and your lineage may be blessed. If you're a Christian, you are symbiotically bound to the gospel. If you've received Christ as Lord, that means your life is bound to the gospel. Your life is bound to his kingdom. So what happens in your life is in direct proportion to your commitment and your direction unto his kingdom or your lack of it. It's true. Your destiny does not lie in this world. Your destiny lies in his. And so what we have to do is we have to train and commit ourselves to learn to interact in his world from heaven to earth. On earth as it is in heaven. Can I get a witness? That's what Jesus said. That we learn to interact from his world into ours. And we learn that whatever I do, it's going to be in direct relationship. The gospel flows in my life by my commitment unto it. The gospel flows in my life by my activation, by when I do the things that it requires of me, it creates a flow. So if there is no flow, there's a lack of direction or there's a lack of connection to what it is that I'm supposed to be doing. It's as simple as that. There is resistance. I'm not saying the devil doesn't resist you, but that's a small portion. The biggest problem with believers is that they are not committed unto it. Or the kingdom is second, third, fourth, fifth on the list. It may not even make the top five to a lot of people. And you wonder why the gospel power doesn't move in your life. That's the question. So it's not just this, it's also activating into the promises. You want financial blessing? God's got a plan. You want relational blessing? God's got a plan. You want emotional blessing? God's got a plan. You pick, pick any area of your life. You want whatever area you, you choose, God has a plan for that, but it's directly related to your commitment unto it and your obedience to it. Every promise of God is activated through an act of obedience on behalf of the people. The promise of salvation itself is activated only by an act of obedience. Well, God did it, Jesus did it all. Jesus died for the whole world. So here we have an eternal promise. Salvation and life is promised to the whole world. But will the whole world be saved? No. Does God want the whole world saved? Yes. But the whole world will not be saved because people will not activate themselves into the promise. 
You must bow your heart and receive Christ as Lord. Boom. Promise is activated. That's the basic principle to understand that that applies to every other arena within the kingdom itself. It is a requirement of us towards and it's a requirement of us to follow. So we gather for instruction. Jesus said, teach them to Matthew 28, teach them to observe everything I've taught you. Whatever I've shown you, whatever I've demonstrated to you, whatever I've instructed you, I want you to teach my people. Second Timothy said, all scripture is given for reproof and doctrine and teaching to equip us. You know the story, some of you. So the gospel, we, we gather to be instruction. So what we're doing here is pleasing in the eyes of God. The instruction pleases him because it's what he wants. We gather for ministry. This is a big piece. What does ministry look like? Okay. Ministry begins with ministry to the Lord. Did you know your presence here ministers to him? I don't know if you're aware of that or not. You being here this morning is actually a ministry unto him. Some of you have kids or you have grandkids. You're ministered just because your kids are in the room. When your kids come over your house, it just makes you feel good. You don't even know why. You're just happy. They could be throwing stuff and breaking stuff in the room, but you're like, I don't care. I'm happy. They're just here. Oh, leave him alone. Leave him alone. He's fine. Mom, he's burning the house down. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> Let me know what I'm talking about. You just have a joy when your children are in front of you. God has a joy by your presence. It's a ministry unto him. It blesses him. Priestly ministry. We come to ministry. We minister unto the Lord first. Then we let the Lord minister unto you. You see why we do that little interlude in, the, in between the song? Because we've just spent, whatever, 30 minutes ministering unto the Lord and blessing Him. So can't we take three minutes? Can't we just pause for a moment and let Him minister back to us? Because it's what He wants to do. And as crudely or as insufficiently as I do it, it's what the Father wants. That's why we do it. Our American churches are fast food. We want to get you in, we want to get you out in the most efficient way possible. You ever seen them? I mean, it's like they go to Disney World to study efficiency, how to move people fast. I'm thinking to myself, well, that might be good, but is that really what we're going to build our churches on? Is on an efficient model to give them as much as we, to give them just like fast, 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 in and out in an hour? What in the heck are you going to get done in an hour? Not much. But yet that's what we, we think that that's what's going to change our lives. It's not that's going to change our lives. So guys, we have to commit a little bit more than an hour a week. We have to commit ourselves to a little bit more than just, you know, extempore, you know, all the fat. Well, I don't like this church. You don't have a fish tank. Oh, this church I was going to, they got vibrating chairs. They got laser lights, Kevin. I had to wear sunglasses. It was so cool. I'm like, hey, man, cool's great, but effectiveness is better. I'm all in on cool, you know. I'm all in. I want to be cool. I try to be cool. I do my best to be cool. But more than being cool, I want to be effective. Yeah. Because Jesus hasn't called us to be cool. He's called us to be effective. That's the point. We gather for encouragement. I'm going to hit you right now. There should not be one person that leaves this place today discouraged. It should not happen. Never should it happen. If you're discouraged, you need to go and find four or five people and go, man, dude, I'm down. I just need you to encourage me. And if that one didn't do it, then you go find another person. Say, dude, I'm down. I need you to encourage me. We have a prophetic team, and you can go up and grab the prophetic team. I know you're on a prophetic team. Could you speak a word over my life? Could you speak the blessing of God over me? Could you encourage me today? Now, one person should leave this place discouraged. If you leave discouraged, it's because of you, not because of us. We do everything in this church possible to create a culture of affirmation and encouragement. That's right. That's right. Come on. It's actually a gift. Some of you are encouragers. You know what I do? You ready? Permission granted. 
Go encourage people. Say, dude, that dude, oh, here he comes again. He's going to encourage me. I don't know if I can handle another encouragement. <laughs> Barnabas was called what? Son of what? Son of encouragement. What do you think his ministry was? Encouragement. That's a ministry. A ministry of encouragement. Some of you have high mercy gifts. You are so merciful and so compassion. passionate. People practically cry when you sit down next to them because they could just feel the mercy come out of you. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I sit with people that have high mercy gifts and I'm like going, I don't know, I just feel like, like I'm feeling really emotional right now and I don't really know why. Because they have high mercy gifts. Go and use your mercy. It's a gift of God. Use your mercy on safe people. People that will benefit from it and not just take it all away. And all the mercy people go, wow, I know what that's like. Yeah, you do, because you have a mercy gift. People just hook the vacuum cleaner up and just drain it all out of you. And then they go, "Woo, I feel better. And you're like, really? I'm drained. <laughs> safe people, safe measured encouragement, measured mercy. It's ministry. Minister one to the other. That's the power of the kingdom. The power of the gospel is ministry. So it makes this place like no other. So if I'm a non-believer and I come into a church and I'm just watching you like cattle, here we go, come in like cattle, sit down, boom, 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 go out like cattle, boom, boom, boom. What's, what's your perspective of that? Your perspective is, oh, well, the music was nice. You know, I thought it was very efficient. I thought everything they did this morning was really efficient and really on time. You know, I really like that. But are they going to walk away going, man, dude, I encountered God today. I don't even know what happened there. It seemed like I was in eternity. I didn't think the pastor was ever going to shut up, but it didn't matter to me because I felt like I was in eternity. I felt like timelessness just entered the room and I felt like something was happening to me. Well, I would rather have that spoken over this church than I would say, wow, you guys are so efficient. I just cannot believe how efficient you are. I mean, seriously, we should take notes and can we come in and do a study of your efficiency processes? Well, good luck with that. <laughs> I'm trying to tell you what your father wants. That's what I'm trying to tell you. And the things that we prioritize are not the things that he prioritizes. Just not. Jesus ministered so long that when he got on a boat, he passed out. Paul and Jesus today would be considered out workaholics. But in the ministry, we're all about, oh, no, no, I don't want to overburden myself. I don't want to commit too much. Man, read your gospel. It's not that. Anyway, that's another that's sidebar. I'm not going there. Anyway, ministry. We're to minister one another. I give you permission to minister to one another. I give you permission to bless one another. I give you permission to encourage one another. Minister one to the other. You are a minister. Christ is in you. You are a minister. Holy Spirit's in you. And if you get, come up against something that you don't know, then go find somebody who does. Say, you know what? I don't know, but let me bring you to the prayer team. You know what? I don't know, but let me bring you over here. I mean, minister one to the other. Encouragement. We come together for encouragement. Nobody should leave the ear discouraged. Next slide. I'm not going to read the verses. You can read them later. Here's another aspect. Koinonia. What does koinonia mean? Somebody said fellowship. It means a little bit more than fellowship. It means a unity and a love of family. What this atmosphere should create and what we should experience one to the other is a love for one another that surpasses even our own physical families. Yes. That is the love that is to take place between the believer. It's called koinonia. God puts a blessing on it. That's why people come from broken families. One of the aspects of the church is the restoration of the broken. You haven't been fathered correctly? Church answers the question. You haven't been mothered correctly? Church answers the question. You have broken relationship with your siblings? Church answers the questions. You can be fathered. There are spiritual fathers. God anoints spiritual fatherhood within the house to re-father people. 
God anoints spiritual motherhood within the house to remother people. God anoints relationships one to the other. The Bible says when, when we're together with unity, oil comes down the beard of the priest, which again means it's anointed. Presence is on that. There should be a bond of unity between us. It's normal. No one's alone. So we come together for koinonia. We come together to know you're not alone. Your mom, David said, if my mother and father forget me, you won't. We come together to know that we're not alone. We come together to know that what our identity is and who we are. I emphasize identity to you guys all the time because, again, it's what the Lord wants for you. He wants you to know who you are, and He wants you to know who He is. And He wants you to know who you are in relationship to Him. It's very important. Very important. You know, people go, well, I don't know. I've got to take care of my mother and brother. Man, Jesus is going to offend you on this one. You know, guy comes to him and says, hey, I would follow you, Lord, but I've got to go bury my father. And Jesus said, let the dead bury the, un- let the, dead, bury the dead. How'd you like that one on? Jesus says this, if you love mother, father, brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles, nieces, cousins, nephews, whatever, more than me, you're not worthy of me. Try that one on. Oh, he would never do that. Yeah, well, he said it. He said, who are my mother, who are my brothers, who are my sisters? Those that hear the word of God and do it. Jesus commands and speaks life on the brotherhood of believers, not the brotherhood of man or the sisterhood of man. You get it? Our family here, Bible says the household of faith is to preclude all other households. So this household takes priority all over all others. I didn't say it. It's Jesus' idea. This is what he has established. This is why. You have brothers and sisters all around you, guys. Start knowing that. Start walking in that. Start reaching for that. You see people that are more mature than you, let them mother you. You see people that are more mature than you, let them father you. They're not going to be perfect, but they're a little bit further ahead in the faith. They're going to help you. They're going to mentor you. They're going to coach you. We've got a lot of love, man. When we started this church, we didn't have a lot of old people. We had a lot, you know, when I'm going to say old people, I'm the old person now. But when we had a lot, we had started this church, we had a lot of young people, a lot of 20 somethings, okay? So if you're a 20 something, don't get offended at this. You probably will anyway, but anyway. We had a lot of 20 somethings that had a lot of opinions, right? And those opinions didn't always line up with the scripture, right? So they had a lot of things to say. So I'd get some older people that come in, some more mature Christians. They'd be like, I don't know. This church is just really young for me. I don't know if I, I don't like, no, we need you. We need you. No, we really need you here. We need you to help father these people. We need you to help mentor these people. We need you here. Yes, we need you. Anyway, another story. <laughs> so we're to have a koinonia. That's why we gather. You should be glad. You should come. You can, should come and let people love on you. And if you should come and love on other people, if you're feeling down, go there with the determination that I'm going to find someone today. I'm going to love on them. I'm going to bless them. And I'm going to encourage them. Something's going to happen. You yourself is going to, your life is going to lift. You're going to be feeling down, but you're going to love and bless somebody else. And all of a sudden, wow, I feel better about myself. I'll share with you my story. It's a broken one, like many. I was a part of a church. I was an assistant pastor in a church. And let's just say the pastor and I did not have, we had philosophical differences. We had different ways and different views of how things should be done. But I never conflicted with him. I submitted myself and did it the way that he wanted to, because that was my job. My job was not to lead. My job was to follow and build it up. But it was very difficult for me internally. So what I was dealing with internally was not what I was presenting externally. Whatever he, I would have my peace with him. I'd say, I don't know, I don't agree, whatever. But I said, you want to do it, we're going to do it. And so that would be my public face, and I would go out and do whatever he asked me to do, whether I agreed with it or not, because that was my job, right? But what I ended up doing is, I, everybody say this to me, complaints okay. go, up, go up, right? So I began to complain to the Lord and began to express my heart to the Lord, what I was dealing with. And the Lord started dealing with me. Shut up and humble yourself. Do what you don't want to do. Be a part of this. Take the lower seat and stop complaining. Go out and find some people to minister to. 
So you know what I did? Every Sunday I would show up and I would have one thing in mind. I'm going to find people in this church and I'm going to minister to them. I'm going to serve them. I'm going to love them. I'm going to encourage them. I'm going to pray for them. And I will not leave here today until I find at least one person. Well, if you have that attitude, you're going to get four, five, six, seven, eight, ten people. It's going to start happening because people need ministry. And you're going to start leading, coaching, developing people. And I ended up started doing that. And it became, it became such a point of like, oh, this person has an ego, get Kevin. That was literally how it was. And, and it wasn't that I was trying to be anything. I simply went there with the attitude that my attitude here is to serve the people. My attitude here is to love the people. My attitude here is to, to bless the people, even if I was in an uncomfortable environment, even if I wasn't in my optimum environment. You know? And a lot of the angst I probably had in my own heart was because God was calling me out, but he was calling me out not at that time. Sometimes you have to prove humility before God gives you what you desire or let's not even talk about desire. Yeah, come on. Sometimes you have to prove humility before God gives you what he wants to give you. Because sometimes what he wants to give you isn't always in line with your desires. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. So sometimes you have to prove a, a humble position before he opens up another door. And I've got another thing for you. What we think of humility oftentimes is not humility. Our perspective of what humility looks like is not what God... Humility has humiliation attached. So if you're not feeling humiliation, I dare tell you, you don't have humility. It's the same root word. We think, oh, I'm humble, Pastor. I'm humble. I'm humble. Really? I felt humiliated more than once, more than once. I'll tell you why. I got passed over. I did everything this guy wanted me to do. I did everything he asked me to do. And you know what? Just to let you know, I'll just tell you a couple little inside stories. Doesn't matter. I was one of the assistant pastors there, and they paid for parking permits. There was four of us. They paid for parking permits for three of the assistant pastors. I wasn't on salary. I served for free. Two guys were on salary, and they paid for parking permits for three of the pastors. And do you know one who didn't get one? Me. I didn't get a parking pass. And I was paying, my wife will tell you, I was paying almost $400 a year because we were paying a lot of money in parking. But they wouldn't give me a parking pass. You don't think I was offended at that? You don't think I was like, excuse me? You know, what's the problem here? But I took my complaint to the Lord. They gave me all their reasons. I didn't like it. I gnawed on it. I said, I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to be a baby. I'm not going to be a child. I'm going to take it to the Lord and see what he tells me. And God told me, shut up and do your job. Oh, Kevin. Oh, because he's training me. If I can't shut up in an environment like that, then I'm not going to shut up when God gives me another environment. If I'm going to complain and be a baby, come on. If I'm going to complain and be a baby under that circumstance, then if God brings me to a higher level, I'm going to be a complainer and a baby. And I'm not going to be able to instruct anybody on humility because I myself have not walked in it. I was humiliated. Humiliated. I was passed over. Literally passed over. And I look back on it now and I'd like to just thank him. I'd like to say his name, but I won't. I want to tell them, thank you. You did me a great favor. What was great pain to me has become a tremendous benefit. I'm grateful I was not given a greater position because I probably would have never ended up having been able to leave. And when I left, God ordained it and I left. And it was good. But so if you understand what I'm talking about here, what I'm saying to you is simply that. We have to be willing to take a humble position at times and be taking the position of servitude. We're servants, guys. That's what we are. We minister one to the other. 
Church is not an option. We have to reframe our focus. It's not an option. You have to take it off your optional list. You have to put it on Sunday and say, that's what I do on Sundays, period. I'm going to church. We do two services, right? So we do at 10 o'clock. You want to get in and get out? Go for it. Come to 10. 11 o'clock, I just let it roll. So, I mean, I'm sorry if you're new to the 11.30, but I'm holding back a lot in the 10 o'clock, so I'm sorry. (laughs) Church is not optional. It's essential. It's essential to the development of the believer. The church is better because you're here, weaker when you're not. You're better because you're here, and you're weaker when you're not. Jesus emphasized church. I love this verse. It's just important. I'm going to hit a couple of them, and I'm going to be done. Jesus emphasized church. If there's one person who didn't need to go to church, can we agree it would be Jesus? If there's one person on the earth that said, you know what, I just don't think I need to go to church. I actually am the church, and I don't think I need to go. The Bible says he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So when he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, everybody say it with me, as was his custom, that means it was his habit, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up and read. So he made it his custom and his habit to go to church. He didn't go, ah, I don't know, I don't feel like going this morning. Nah, don't feel like it. Got better things to do. He made it his custom and he made it his habit. Why? Because he knew what the Father wanted. He came to be a model for us to follow and he came to model the relationship that he had with his Father. And he knew that's what his Father wanted, the gathering together. Jesus emphasized church. The Bible says he does exceedingly abundantly above all things that we can ask or think according to the power that works within us. Oh, we quote that one, but it goes further. That glory comes through the church. That's the next verse. Uh-huh. Boom. High five right there, Moises. Got you. So the thing is, is like we think that that's what God is saying, but we don't read the next verse. The glory comes through the church. So the weight, which is kavod or glory, the weight of your life and the substance of who you are is going to come through your relationship with the church. I don't like church. Find one you do like. I don't like, uh, we've got all these little baby fit, baby fit arguments that we really don't hold water. Go and find one that, you can be, that will challenge you. Go and find one that will raise you up and commit yourself to it. You're welcome here. That's why we're here. Next slide. The glory for your life comes through the church. So you wonder why there's no glory, no purpose, no this, no that. Well, could it be that it's a direct connection to your willingness to commit, connect to the church? Just a thought. Church is a body. Nowhere in Scripture do you find an individual emphasis at the expense of the assembly. You don't find it. God does not emphasize one at the expense of the whole. He commands the one into the whole. We are called to come together. We are called to be one. Church is Jesus' design. It's the only thing in time and space Jesus is building. Did you know that? Did you know that? Only mention that Jesus is in this, all of the scripture that God says, I'm building this. It's the only thing he says he's building. And what is he building? He's not building individual lives. Oh, Jesus is building me up. No, he's building the church. Upon this rock I will build my church, and, this, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. This is what Jesus is building. So when you participate and commit and connect to a church, you're participating in the one thing that Christ himself has committed himself to build. I'm just telling you. There's a lot of reasons why we do it wrong. And I'm not saying we do it right. But there are reasons why we do it wrong. One of the reasons why we do church wrong is we don't ask what God wants. We do what man thinks. Or we do what denomination says. That's part of the problem. The issue is, Father, what do you want? What do you want? Well, I'm not really comfortable with it. We'll go out there and wing it, Kevin, and see where Jesus Let's just start forming this. This is what he tells me. This is the stuff he tells me. I felt like I knocked Jesus out of a chair one time. I said, Lord, I don't want to do it your way. I want to do it any other way. I want to do it yours. And I felt like, I literally felt like the Holy Spirit jumped. I'm like, oh my gosh, somebody's actually asking me how I want to do church? Oh my gosh, somebody's actually going to let me do it? 
And I don't say that to elevate myself. I say that simply to say, this is not what... This, so when I tell you that God wants humility before he gives you what he wants, I know this is hard. I would, I would do nothing else in my life. I'm born for the gospel and I'm born for the kingdom. This is what I'm born to do. I'm born for this. But if I was to be honest with you and I was to tell you this is what I've always wanted, it's not. You see, the calling of God and the desire of man oftentimes don't match up. What I do is I conform my desires into his calling. I conform my will into his will. That's what I do. If I had my way, it would probably be a different, I would be a different person doing a different thing. However, that is not what my father has created me to do, nor is it what he has mandated me to do, if you understand that. So I conform my will into his will. I become what he wants. And part of that makes it very successful because I don't know what I'm doing. I'll let, you, I'll let crickets come out on that one. It's not that I haven't studied. It's not that I haven't learned. I, I know more about church. I could talk church all day long. I know a lot about this subject. It's just that when I see it, my constant question is, is this what you want, Lord? Is this the way that you want? What do you want? What do you want? And when I start asking these questions, it's an amazing thing that happens. He starts giving me an answer that's completely contrary to what I've seen. So that, and I don't know what I'm doing. So immediately he's pulled me off the grid. Now I don't have a map anymore. This is what I've learned. This is what I've been taught. And now he's pulled me over here and he says, I want it to look like this. And it goes into every aspect. I could tell you about it. You know, I mean, we do things here intentionally. We strip the religion off and we make it relational because it's what he wants. Okay. He wants it presence centered. Everything's about his presence, his love, his encounter, his presence, his people. Emphasis. So we just encourage the presence of God. He wants friendship. He wants koinonia. He wants grace. He wants acceptance. Acceptance and tolerance. Tolerance and acceptance are two different things. You know, people are like, do you know about the sin in the church, pastor? There's sin in this church. I'm like, yeah, I know more sin in this church than you probably do, but it's a grace-filled, hope-filled environment. God meets us where we are and calls us to what we're going to be. So there has to be a grace, there has to be a grace measure that's implemented within the church in order for people to grow. It's his kindness that leads us. So if we're not having kindness where people are, God cannot lead them from where they are. Just a thought. But these are the things that God wants. He doesn't want a church of the everlasting finger pointers. Ooh, ooh. He doesn't want a church that's liberal on its theology. He wants a church that's, that preaches sound doctrine and sound truths. That's what he wants. So there's different atmospheres in different contexts. It's Jesus' design. So how do you commit? Make it happen. Set church as a priority. Come and be a part of Elevate. Come and be a part of this place. Come and learn what we're all about. Come and be connect to this church and be a part of us. So what does it mean to connect? Well, first thing I would tell you is get involved in a life group. Not only just connect to this place, but I would tell you to go a step further and go to a, connect to a life group. We got all kinds of stuff going on. We got a Monday night Bible school. We got a Coral Gables life group. We got a Hialeah life group. So if you live in, you say, oh, I live in Hialeah. I can't get a Oh, yeah, we got a Hialeah life group. So bingo. You know, oh, no, no, pastor, I live too far south. I live in Homestead. We got a life group in Homestead. So I don't know if you live that far south, but we got one down there too, right? And we have a women's group on Wednesdays. That ladies group, if you live in this area and you're a woman, you should come to that Wednesday. I mean, I walk, I come here on Wednesday to come to work, and it's like, you know, their, their group's just wandering down, and it's like the glory just comes through the room. I'm like, what in the world is going on here, man? They're like praying it down. They're going for it. So if you want to come to that women's group, I mean, it was like, one day they're all praying and crying. I walked in, I thought, oh, because they're all praying, everybody's crying, oh, and they're praying for each other. But I'm like, whoa, sorry, but anyway, powerful. Connect to a life group. Come and be a part of a life group. Get into living, breathing relationships. We not only need spiritual maturity, we need emotional maturity. Can I get a witness? Christians don't just need spiritual maturity. 
We need emotional and relational maturity. Believers are very mature spiritually. Oh, oh, we can just dial out doctrine. But relationally, we're completely lost. Emotionally, we're just, I mean, all bets are off there too. So connect, become a part of a life group, get involved. Take advantage of what this church offers. This church offers, you have EMT, you have all kinds of different things. School of Prophetic, all kinds of things that we want to bless you and encourage you. Get involved with your service, get involved with your giving, get involved with the prayer. Next slide. Last slide. We're done. I'm not going to get into all that. I mean, I try, but I'm, I've talked myself right out of time. I'll give you a couple quick ones. What are you looking for in a church? A church that has a right and high perspectives of Jesus and His Word. If the church doesn't value Christ and put Him in preeminent position, it's not worth going to. If a church doesn't value the Scripture and believe that it is the living Word of God, it's not worth going to. Just a thought. If a church doesn't put an emphasis on the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, I would tell you it's not worth going to. That, and I can give you New Testament on that one. The Bible says they speak to you with cunning words, but the kingdom is not in cunning words, it's in demonstration and power. Paul is correcting a church for following just smooth teachers. He said, oh, they're smooth teachers, they're the most eloquent, but can they demonstrate power? Wow. If they don't demonstrate power, you should probably think about following them. I'm telling you, that's the way, that's the way that, that context is written. That's what Paul is correcting a church for following these eloquent, you know, Tony Robbins, whatever kind of speakers they are, and they could speak great, and everybody walked out of there like, woo, I just felt like that. Well, that guy, he speaks like velvet. Woo, that was smooth, you know? But there's no demonstration, and there's no power. So there needs to be a demonstration and a power. Something should be going on. People should be changed. Lives should be changed. Healing should be coming forth. I'm telling you. Yeah, I got two. That's all I need. (laughs) You need a church that challenges your perspectives. Yes. If you want a church that doesn't challenge your perspectives, you're in the wrong place. (laughs) An atmosphere where there is hope and there is an atmosphere where there is grace. Hope and grace. Come on. There's always hope. Oh, it's over, Pastor. Says who? You serve the God of the resurrection. There's hope, man. Grace is spiritual empowerment. Grace is for today. There is power to keep going. One more day. It's too soon to quit. God is for you. So here's my challenge. Become a member if you've never been a member. Our membership rallies around those five things. We're going to be consistently reading our Bible. We're going to be consistently praying. We're consistently financially giving. We're consistently coming to church. And we're consistently living on mission. That's our membership. That's what we commit ourselves to. Become a member. Do what we ask of our members to. A lot of members don't really think they got to do what they're going to do. Well, it's an honest commitment. Commit yourself and do what you committed to do. Commit, come to our membership process. Connect to a church, good life group, service team. Get involved in a service team. That packet there, that pink thing on the, on the chairs or that neon thing, whatever color it is, talks about service team. And then draw, lastly, draw from everything the church offers. Did you guys get anything out of this? yeah we're going to take communion okay so we're going to take communion together and what do you want me to say Lord (laughs) communion is a symbolic gesture of what Christ has done for us that's what it represents the bread represents his body that was broken for us the wine or the juice represents his blood that was poured out for us you can bring it up Nellie And while it's a symbolic gesture, the Bible commands us to do this together. And it not only commands us to do it together, it commands us to rightfully discern 